This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hi, it's David Avering with the Customer Experience Advantage Podcast. You know, there's no shortage of approaches to sales and the art of persuasion. Everyone tries, although few succeed consistently. But just imagine if you were able to approach every business conversation with the verbal tools and strategies to generate the best outcome almost every time. Well, my guest today is Phil M. Jones. He's the author of the staggeringly successful books, Exactly What to Say and Exactly How to Sell. He's going to give you some insights into how to do both of those better than your competition. I'm talking today to the incomparable Phil M. Jones. It's David Avern on the Customer Experience Advantage podcast back in 20 seconds. You're listening to the Customer Experience Advantage podcast with David Averin, featuring candid conversations with some of the most influential leaders in business today. Sit back and listen in, or feel free to watch the video version online. This is the Customer Experience Advantage Podcast, and here's David Averin. Hey, friends. Welcome to the Customer Experience Advantage Podcast. Very handsome man next to me on the screen. For those of you who are watching the video version of this, which is available on my website and, of course, on C-Suite Television and YouTube and things like that as well. Of course, all the audio channels as well. Um, I'm excited today because we're going to talk about the words that we use to be persuasive, to sell. Now, as I said in the introduction, there's no shortage of approaches. Not a lot of people do this well. There's a lot of sort of standard, you know, don't sell, people want to buy. But the reality is for all of us in business, nothing happens until somebody sells something. Unless you are an offer profit or an inadvertent offer profit, which many people were during COVID, uh, how we how we buy and why we buy is changing. And I think the the vernacular, the strategies that we use has to change as well. Well, my guest today, Phil M. Jones, has, has whether he stumbled upon, artfully crafted, uh, has really captured the attention of the world in so many different languages. Let me give a quick introduction, and then we'll talk to him. Uh, Phil M. Jones' mission is simple. It's to help great people get better, because a relentless focus on getting better means that better soon beats the current best. He is the author of the million-plus selling Exactly What to Say, the Magic Words for Influence and Impact is the most listened to nonfiction book of all times. Let that uh, set in for a second. He's also the author of Exactly How to Sell. He's an entrepreneurial success story and the founder of five multi-million dollar companies. He's a strategic advisor to pioneering leaders of the world's biggest brands. He's the youngest ever winner of the British Excellence of Sales and Marketing Award. And when you think about how many people have been selling throughout British history, let's call that tens of millions pretty remarkable. He's also one of less than 200 living members of the National Speakers Association Hall of Fame. I was in the audience watching him accept that great honor and the author of seven best-selling business books and one gorgeous children's book. Big welcome to our guest, Phil M. Jones. Good morning or afternoon. Good morning, David. Good afternoon. Good day, wherever we are in the world, right? Wherever anybody's listening to this, but it is a joy to be here. Thanks for having me on the show. Absolutely. So, listen, I, I've been a fan. Uh, we're friends, but I'm also sort of marveled from afar. Um, and I think to some extent, you might must have just been sitting back and going, uh, how, how did this 
accelerate the way that it had and capture such an attention. Before we go into some of the specific strategies to help our listeners or viewers uh, better position their products and services, better be more convincing and persuasive in their conversations, tell us a little bit about your journey and what led you to this um, really worldwide acclaim for these books and for your strategies. Hey, thank you for that. Yeah. And like every overnight success story, there's a lot of backstory, right? That gets to this given point. So I, I have been in business for quite some time. I started as a 14 year old. I started knocking on the doors of my neighbors and asking them quite politely whether they wanted to have their cars washed. And I did okay with that little car cleaning business so much so that by the age of 15, I wasn't going to school as often as I should. And I remember being invited in by my school teachers questioning my attendance. And I responded to them with a question. And the question I responded to was, how much money are you making, sir? And my school teachers refused to tell me, but I had a fairly handsome little business as a 15-year-old where we were making around 2,500, maybe 3,000 pounds a month, around $5,000 a month at the time and up. And the reason I didn't go to class is because I had customers that needed servicing and staff that needed direction and things needed to get done. So I've been in the world of business for a long, long time, built businesses through my teens, still managed to be able to work my studies part-time around those businesses, but at the age of 18, didn't take the traditional route of university, et cetera became the youngest ever sales manager for a big department store group in the UK, went from there to run sales teams in the largest furniture retail business in the UK. And in both those scenarios, there's a really interesting position that I found myself in is that I was in a senior sales leadership position in my late teens and early 20s. You don't get a lot of respect at that given point in time when you look like you're 11, right? So um, I learned that one of the best ways that I could command those kind of audiences was to never share with anybody what I thought they should do. I would study the behaviors of others that were getting great results. And all I'd redo was package their stories and then share them with somebody else. So it was like, hey, I've been watching what John's been up to. John's crushing it. And here are some of the things that John does that you might be able to do too. And this style of leadership gave me this crowdsourced experience accidentally through before crowdsource was was a term yeah before it was even a term but it was like hey i'm just getting this like mastermind even for another term that probably wasn't being used at the time uh, ability to be understand what it was that was making other people successful i went through a number of other sales leadership roles but soon came to realize that past hard work hustle product knowledge understanding, good network, and all the things that we know lead towards success, the key decision maker or delineator between those that did good and those that crushed it was the ones that really crushed it knew exactly what to say, when to say, and how to make it count. They knew the right words at the right time could make all of the difference. Knowing this is I got pedantic about word choices from a very, very, very early age and started to be able to document. And what I started to happen when I started to document is I'd see patterns. Regardless of industry, regardless of scenario, regardless of what that winner was doing, is they were following a similar kind of process. They were following a similar kind of protocol. And on often occasions, we're utilizing the exact same sequence of words. And learning to be able to bottle that, when I started my sales training business in 2008, I would always sprinkle in examples of what I was calling magic words into my one-day, two-day, three-day seminars. Then weeks, months, years after the fact, what was the thing that people would remember? They'd come back to me and say, hey, Phil, I love your magic words. Right. So 2010, 2011, that became my lead capture. It became, hey, what was on a website or a giveaway or a back of the room takeaway, handout, et cetera, was this little pamphlet of magic words. 
if I wanted to do an event that was about lead capture for my consulting business, I would speak on magic words. It was high impact, big takeaway, would steal the show. And then what happened was, as I found myself in a mastermind group around 2011 with some other speaker trainer friends of mine in the UK, and we were talking about book publishing and how hard it was to publish a book. And me and my big mouth said, it's not that hard. I mean, geez, you could turn a book around in two weeks. You know how this plays out. Absolutely. Find your money where your mouth is and let's get this thing done. So I published a book in two weeks called Magic Words. And between you and I, David, it was quick, dirty, scrappy. It was not my proudest piece of work. But we took that two-page PDF, we expanded it into what was more of a pamphlet and called it a book. It went live on Amazon. It went out on KDP Select. And I woke up one morning to 120,000 downloads of said book. Book was well-received. It ran as part of my business system from a giveaway, from an add-on to clients. It generated a little bit of revenue. But it was never the biggest of deals commercially, but it was a big deal in my body of work from an IP point of view. Sure. Fast forward to 2017, and I'm making a decision with my wife that we're going to move to the US. My wife's American. Some personal circumstances in her world said that we should probably be in the US to be able to support some family needs. I had a global speaking business, global training business, and I didn't want to have a global training or speaking business and move to a new country and deal with the logistical challenges that I'm like, I'm going to start a North American speaking, training, coaching, consulting business. Probably need a new book. Bureaus, event planners, et cetera, like new books. Let's write a new book. And then partway through my idea generation of writing a new book, I'm like, geez, you fool. Why on earth would you write a new book when you've got a book that you already know is full of greatest hits that just hasn't been written right? So exactly what to say was born at that point where I decided to take what was a successful single or EP and, and, and finish the album and then bring that forward in exactly what to say. We launched that in 2017. We're now at a point where it's 1.7 million copies sold, translated into 30 languages, the most listened to nonfiction audio book of all time. But it didn't appear overnight. This has been 15 years of relentless body of work, even following the 10 years of sales leadership and sales application it took to be able to distill down the body of this work. And I find it really freeing almost to realize that a body of work in this world, everybody needs to think is going wide. Whereas in my world right now, it's just narrowing back in. And, and, and in today's modern economy, with the challenges that are coming the other side of growth and the other side of you know, fast growth through internet and globalization, et cetera, sure. what is the world realizing as we enter into 2023? What matters most is how do we convert all the key moments that matter? What are the conversations that show up when we're looking to be able to influence employees, when we're looking to influence potential customers, when we're looking to aid the retention of existing customers? So finally, we're getting back to a skills-based economy. And guess what? My work's ridiculously relevant again. Yeah, absolutely. Well, talk to me uh, for a moment about the genesis of the title. You had had a measure of success with Magic Words. What yeah. precipitated, you know, I assume for some people, Magic Words, you know, is, is the abracadabra or something in yeah. there. Maybe there was some mis, mis, miscommunication, but if if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Um, clearly, you you crafted or stumbled upon something very effective. What was the the catalyst for that? that change well, some of the best that? things happen by accident, right? Uh, and And... We were calling this magic words in all of its early drafts and editions. Then me being me does a little bit of research, pumps onto amazon.com, 
types in magic words and geez up pops a book by a guy called Tim David. Tim David also happens to be a real magician and and around 2015-16 had published a book called Magic Words. Now sure I published a book in 2011 called Magic Words. We could get into a fight about who got there first but this is the book's world. You cannot copyright a title and I'm like he probably owns that more than I do in this given moment and how do I turn this adversity into some form of opportunity? Why don't I just retitle the book? Now, I'd been workshopping this material for some time too, right? And we'd run events around this material, run events in the small business world. I'd run some infotainment events. And when I'd run an infotainment event in a theater, we'd called the event exactly what to say. Because guess what? People don't want magic words. What they want to know is exactly what to say. Mutual right. friend of ours called Rory Vaden. Uh, I was going to bring. I was going to bring this up as well. Yeah. He's right. he's got this great philosophy on book titles. Right. He's got to pass the title that's, test. Yeah, uh, that's uh, what that's what I want. I want that. I was going to yeah. say the exact same thing. So funny, you went there first, but it passes that test. Like, do you want to know exactly what to say? Do you well, want to know why customers test. leave? Right. Yes, and it passed the test. But there's something else that's magic in this title, David, that, that I only realized retrospectively. So I don't think this was a genius move. This is a, hey, having sold 1 million plus copies, why? Like reverse engineering is easier, right? Hindsight's beautiful. But there's something in the title that creates friction. Because I want that. It can't give me that. Oh, geez, it gives me that. Yeah, pretty bold assertion. Correct. Is like, oh, I want to be able to open it and read it because I want that thing. The curiosity gap that's created that it can't possibly give that thing makes you then want to dive in. The fact that it then gives you the promise that it delivered is like, I should probably go tell somebody about this. So it creates a word of mouth phenomenon behind it, which is is, is the bit that I get to live in and enjoy. So labeling and titling things is it is crucial. And what's been fun in that journey from 2017 to now is the variety of different scenarios that I've been brought into that I never had any intention to find myself in. So when we talk about Genesis is I had no intention of, of training district attorneys or judges about how to be more persuasive and influential in moments that matter. I never had the intention of speaking to nurses about their bedside manner when delivering bad news towards patients' families. Yeah. I never had any attention about how um, teachers could be more influential in the conversations they're delivering towards parents to be able to create the buy-in that they need from parents to be able to support a learning journey with a child at home. Like these weren't projects that were on my roadmap of things that I'd be looking to get involved in yet have all happened in the last five years. And I think that's a realization that we are all selling something. Like historically, it's only ever been focused on a product or service. And today we're realizing that we're often selling ideas, outcomes, or changes in behavior. Well, I mean, we're even selling, I mean, as, as the father of five or, or six now um, empty nesters with, with the uh, um, stepkids and all as well, it's, we're, we're selling everything from, from making sure you get up and go to class at college to everything back from when they were kids as well. Yeah. How do you, and I mean, why they'd want to come and visit you for Thanksgiving, right? Even that. Exactly <laughs> right. Um, but, but everything we do is, is about persuasion. And for you and I, who both speak for a living, um, it's, sometimes it's, it's difficult to recognize for some people that that's difficult. I'm, I'm an extrovert through and through my wife's the, the introvert who's comfortable in social situations and everybody's a little bit different. How do you get past, or how did you, because you've had a great level of success, get past the naysayers who look at this as 
oh, you can't script your life. You can't script every interaction or transaction. And of course, once you read it, it's not about that. It's right finding those right those keywords, those key phrases that that get you to that next level from no to maybe to yes. But I think on the on the surface, I think you probably had to recognize that there were some who were looking. You don't know exactly what to say. It's pretty arrogant. We can't script our life. It doesn't yeah. work that way. And you're right. We hit a lot of friction around that. And still, how many of us listening to this right now have come away from a critical conversation and thought shoulda, woulda, coulda? Oh, God. Yeah. How many times I, I did just, you... Yeah come away from a critical conversation and thought who on earth was that idiot and the person you were talking about was yourself yeah and we all spend a lot of time debriefing conversations whether that's internally in our head or with others what if we take that same time and use that same time to pre-brief conversations now every business owner right now has a quantity of critical and common conversations that they're not ready for i'll give you one example for many listeners right now they get asked the how much question on repeat and they get asked the how much question and they find themselves lost for words. They stumble over it. They trip over their own tongue. They say things that sabotage their own success in profit because they didn't get ready for a question they knew they were going to be asked. That is not what a professional would do. When we think about scripting, I ask people all the reasons why they don't like scripts. And they say things like, well, they sound canned. They sound robotic. They're inauthentic. You cannot live in the moment. They give me this barrage of reasons. And I then ask him a question to say, have you ever seen a movie and cried? And then let them into the deep, dark secret that that was an actor reading a script. But it wasn't an actor reading a script, was it? It was an actor performing a script, an actor who had to embody the personality of somebody else to be able to create a moment that mattered. And the thing that you need to be is not an actor. You just need to be yourself. What is masterful, though, is when the actor understands the sequence of words that needs to be delivered, they can live in the moment. Not before the moment or after the moment. They can be precisely in that given moment because they're not up here in their head. They're eyeball to eyeball with the person they're looking to be able to communicate with and they're influencing that moment because they're living in that moment. What also is interesting is some of the best movie moments that have ever, ever, ever happened happened when the actor made a bold choice to go off script. Now, if you're going to go off script, what needs to be true? There also needs to be a script. There you go. Good point. Right? You cannot go off script if you didn't have a script. And the pros decide that the worst time to think about the thing you're going to say is in the moment you're saying it. Now, it doesn't mean that you need to deliver it word perfect. It means that you've had to thought about it ahead of time and had a game plan coming into it that gives you the permission to be able to move. When I deliver a keynote presentation, David, when you deliver a keynote presentation, is that the first time that you thought about the thing you're going to say? Not even close. It would be irresponsible, correct? If you are responsible for a thousand sets of ears for a 60 minute period of time, if you were working it out on the stage, that would be rude. Right. Which, which is, which is ironic because you and I both know that probably one of the worst tactics and it's all crap anyway, that, that some speakers will do, they'll get on stage and they'll say, I had a script prepared for today, but I threw it away this morning and I decided I'm just going to be here, come here and tell you the truth. First of all, that's garbage. You didn't throw away your script. You knew what you were going to say. It's manipulative. And even if it was true, it's irresponsible because you're being paid a handsome fee for being there and you're going to come on stage and wing it. Nobody does. You're right. You've got to be prepared and being able to go off script. I think that that's really important for all of us, because I think once again, in answering the naysayers, and you've had this conversation a thousand times is every scenario isn't predictable, but at least if you're prepared on the basic level, you can go off script because you're in the moment and you, you anticipated the conversation wherever it might go. 
Well, and there are more predictable moments, though, than we often give credit for. Absolutely. So, for example, I could ask every independent business owner that's listening to this discussion right now is, what are all the things that your customers say that you wish they didn't? And they're like, I know this one. They say this, 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 they say this. I say, well, how prepared are you to prevent them from saying those things? So what's your effective response when they do? Yeah, without being dismissive or unprepared. Or how do you get ahead of it? If you're concerned that your client is going to say, well, I'm going to shop around, how do you run a meaningful conversation in your early consultation that helps them understand they're already in the right place? Right. Well, here's the other thing. Here's the other thing, Phil, is how many times do people known objections, because you've been in business for a long time, for everybody listening or watching this, you've been in business, you know what they, that they don't say it, but they mentally check you off as unqualified because they make an assumption. If you can get ahead of that and saying, listen, so many people in this industry, you know, do blank and blank. Here's what we do differently right. because they're not all going to say it. Sometimes we can preempt even the thought or the conclusion in their mind by addressing that kind of a situation up front. Without question. And it's more relevant today than ever. You know, buyers are looking to be more educated before making a decision. And we now live in many marketplaces where on the face of things, everybody's doing the same thing. For example, I do a lot of work in the real estate industry and the average consumer believes that as long as you get a license and you've been local and you've been doing this for a period of time, well, just about everything is equal other, other than the right. fee. And if you could learn to just ask simple prefacing questions like, well, what is your experience of working with a professional real estate agent? Guess what happens is most people either share an ancient experience or own up to the fact they have little to no experience, which allows you to say things like, well, would it help if I walked you through all of your different options so you could make a more informed decision as to what type of agent you might like? Right. But look at the intentionality of those word choices. When I say, what is your experience of working with a professional real estate agent? I've just suggested that not all real estate agents are professional. Couldn't the same right. thing exist in our world? When somebody is inquiring about David Averin as a speaker at their event, if you said, well, what is your experience of working with a paid professional speaker? You instantly had them realize that this is not something you're looking for for exposure. Right. Right. This is your profession. When they say things back to that, that, you know, we've worked with professional speakers every single year. We've booked people like Barack Obama. We've booked people like Brené Brown. We've booked people like, geez, I mean, we had Oprah one year. Are you worried about them not finding your fee? No, 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 no. But if they say things back like, well, well, this is the first time that we've hired externally is that we historically have have had people from inside the organization as sponsors, and now we're looking to level up. You've got a completely different talk track that comes next because you've now got a duty to be able to educate them on the landscape of professional speaking as opposed to your place within that landscape. Well, here's why I think what you do is so important today. Sorry, I apologize. So there's what's so important about what you're doing today. And I'd like you to address this because I think you've begun to do so is, is the realization that so many people make either assumptions or decisions before they're contacting the final, the final um, competitors, right? right? We've done the, we've weeded out people online. Uh, we, we've made assumptions that at, at the end, as you said, sort of all things are equal. Everybody's the same. So now it's down to price. How do we preempt that? Um, maybe farther upstream where we're not part of the conversation. Well, there's plenty you can do in in marketing and and, and preventative work. And and you talk extensively about this and people like Marcus Sheridan and his work around they ask, you answer, et cetera. There's a lot of stuff that you can do to be able to educate consumers ahead of time. 
But I tell you a really interesting conversation that I think every independent business owner should be ready for is when the phone rings and whether it's a phone ring or a contact form kicking off and the inquiry is consolidated to a version of how much do you charge? Because I find it Very flabbergasting true. that almost every industry is not equipped to be able to respond to that question with any level of integrity. What often happens is people's answer is a version of, well, it depends, and I'm not telling you. Right. Which is highly evasive. And in the current world that we live in, you be evasive. You just found a good reason for somebody to decide to not choose you. Or even Nor continuing I... the conversation, right? Correct. Nor am I saying that you should say our prices are on our website. If you just click this tab, this link, this here, good luck. Let me know if it fits, right? It is we need to be able to educate in these environments. So having a good response to the how much question is, is useful. I do a lot of work in the medical device space and in particular in hearing care. So this is audiology. This is the sale of hearing aids, et cetera. Quite often the question arrives to front desk, how much? Front desks respond by saying it depends. And then they give a ridiculous range from here to here that doesn't help people and then hang up the phone, which well, is weird. Let's take the understanding in this environment. Sometimes it takes people seven years to build the courage to go from, I'm thinking about maybe doing something about this and I'm now going to go on to be able to do it. They pick up the phone and say, hey, I think in a buy-in, I think you're my people. I'd quite like to be able to do business with you. And then we push them away, often for a lifetime result in them not transacting, not making the upgrade, not making the decision. If you respond with a clean answer and then an easy to ask question, what you start to gain is clarity. So in that scenario, we can say we have a number of different options. Which hearing aids would you like to buy? What does almost everybody say back to that? Well, I don't know which ones you have. Right. And so we say, well, more. neither do we at this point. We don't know what's right for you at this point either. And instantly we create clarity of the fact that a consultation is required. It sounds to me, though, like what you're asking is, is what could you expect to spend if we find out the hearing aids are the solution for you and that you'd like to better do business with us? And they're like, yes, that's what I'm hoping to find out. Well, answer me this. When was the last time you had your hearing tested? Well, I haven't had it done for the last five years. Oh, okay. Well, it sounds like the best place to start there is with a comprehensive hearing test and that all that we're going to charge you for that is blank. Whew, that sounds affordable. Okay. And get that scheduled for you next week. And do Tuesday or Wednesday. When suits your best? Well, Wednesday be good for me. Morning or afternoon, when's good? Well, morning would be ideal. So somewhere like 10.30. Yeah, 10.30 sounds great. Well, at 10.30, you're going to meet Dr. So-and-so. Dr. So-and-so has been doing this for this period of time. They're highly experienced, blah, 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 blah. If you find out that hearing aids are the right solution, we are entirely independent. We have access to the complete suite of all of the products that are available. And I tell you what you could do. You could find a solution for as little as 1,500 bucks, but you could go over 10,000 if you're feeling brave. But most importantly, we need to find out what's true for you right now. And good news is we've got an appointment booked for you with Dr. So-and-so at 10.30 a.m. next week. What other questions can I help you with today? You know what? I think one of the most brilliant things about the approach is in doing so, not only have you sort of engaged them where they're feeling like they're led through a process, which is really important to determine the price, but you've also differentiated yourself from others who have come out with a price or a discount one or something online. What's the old line that prescription without diagnosis is malpractice? Yeah. You've diminished everyone else who quickly had an answer who didn't have the right questions. It's same thing applies with financial services, with so many other industries as well. And my rally cry to everybody listening in right now is if you're going to say what's one conversation that matters more than most, 
get ready to respond to every version of the how much question that you're being asked. And if you can just dial that one up, you're in good shape. Then think about like the leadership conversations you're having is how many small business owners have regular huddles or team meetings that happen religiously, but don't deliver the outcome you're looking for. How are you getting people bought into the mission, bought into the changing behavior, sold on what you're looking for them to be able to do differently? Could you take sequences of words from exactly what to say, pre-purpose your conversations more effectively and get people bought into the way you want them to operate this week that was different to the way they operated last week? The answer to that question is yes. And every moment of influence is catalyzed with a conversation. If you think about every situation that you remember intently as a, as, a, as a pivotal moment in your own career, it was catalyzed by a conversation. Absolutely. What you remember might not be the conversation. What you remember might be what happened, but what happened happened because of a conversation. Right. Well, let, let me ask another question. Oftentimes it is, you know, the catalyst was a conversation, but it wasn't necessarily a good conversation. Mm-hmm. You know, I think probably, probably, or uh, not probably, I mean, I think for me, what makes your approach is so significant and effective is the dichotomy of how we have traditionally done it, which isn't necessarily disastrous. It's just less effective than it could be. And mm-hmm. have you found in, in the consulting work, I know you certify others to, to, to teach what it is that you teach as well, in, in identifying the problem um, the, the, the less effective language and contrasting it with what's more effective and taking through those scenarios, is that the way to make it, to create those aha moments and those light bulbs going on over their head? Yeah, kind of. Here's what you have to fight against first is people want to know the right way to do something. We've created conditioning that people believe that there is a right way to do something and a wrong way to do something. And what too many people have forgotten is that the thing we should truly be focused on is what is the right result, i.e. the result that we predetermined is the outcome that we're looking for. And that can be different for different people in different moments. Sure. When you're working towards a right result as opposed to doing it the right way, everything changes. So in the work that exists in our consulting body of work or working with guides is we get them away from focusing on what are the precise words to achieve or the precise words to use and more about Let's increase the level of intent about what we're looking to try and achieve from this meaningful conversation. And can we develop some levels of success around this? And sometimes it's evidence collection. Sometimes it's shifting somebody's perspective. Sometimes it's helping somebody see something from a different point of view. And then sometimes it's getting somebody to take action. And what people are looking for, David, too often is, is they want to win the sale. They want to win the day. They want to win the game. And the trouble with focusing on winning is that if you're the winner, there's a winner and a loser, right? which means the other person feels like a loser when you win, which often isn't the result we're looking for in today's world. It was when we think Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, or Wolf of Wall Street, or any of those other vulgar sales celebrations. Instead, we should be looking for situations where everybody wins. And that's modern leadership. It's modern customer experience. It's modern sales approaches to say, can we create outcomes where everybody wins? And by shifting the intent to say, well, my intent is that I gain greater understanding. My intent is that I take the role to educate the consumer about multiple options. My intent is to help them understand where we sit amongst those differentiators. My intent is to make them feel heard. My intent is to make them feel understood. My intent is to, and we create a list of things that we intend. You write different questions and different talk tracks. Right. Well, doesn't that also um, connect with 
um, the necessity of, of a belief in what it is that we're trying to sell, even if it's an idea, if it's a behavior, if it's a if it's a a, a rule for your family and, and your kids, we really got to believe in what we're doing because then there, then it is a win win. If we know that what we're selling or offering or providing um, really will benefit them, or at least benefit the dynamic or whatever it is we're trying to change or, or grow. Mm -hmm then it's a lot easier to pull out that those tools yep. from the sack to, to achieve that. And then there are no losers and that doesn't mean no. every situation is great, but, but, and, and I talked about this on stage. I said, do, do you believe that I'm what I, what I believe in what I'm saying? And, and the answer is yes, because, because I believe in what we're doing. Does that translate as well in terms of yeah. that, that win-win? Yeah. And I think there are three things here, David, that are, that are worthy of everybody going away with and understanding in this conversation. And, and to echo your point there is quite simply, if you're not convinced, you cannot convince. So if you do not believe with absolute certainty that what you're asking the other person to do is right for them, please don't expect them to believe it. There's the first thing. Now, secondly, is I'm often asked to describe selling. And I've through the years, I've, I've got my own dictionary definition of what selling is. And, and selling is earning the right to make a recommendation. What that means to me is that you should never, ever, 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 ever invite anybody to do anything unless you can say these words first. And the words you should look to be able to say first are the words because of the fact that you said. Because of the fact that you said blank, blank, and blank, then for those reasons, what I'd recommend is blank, blank, and blank. It's an easy framework to understand. It's a harder framework to implement because you have to have done the digging to be able to insert the words in the blank, blank, and blanks, right? Because of the fact that you said that what you want is for this to last a long time and you don't want to have to reservice it. And then what you're trying to be able to do is to do the best for your family. For those reasons, what I'd recommend is you buy the best in technology available today. Sure, it's at a premium price, but it does come with a 25-year guarantee, yada, 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 right? So the sure. recommendation can be for their reasons and not yours. So first thing is if you're not convinced, you cannot convince. Second thing is to remember that selling is earning the right to make a recommendation. And third is the responsibility of our job description as sales professionals. And as sales professionals, in my mind, our job description is to understand that we are professional mind maker-uppers. Indecision is the enemy, not embellishing the option of yes. Maybe is the enemy. See, our role as professional salespeople is to help people make their mind up. And the second you realize that that is your duty, is to help people make smart decisions, help them make the right decisions, move them out of indecision, remove procrastination. You can do a better job of that role that results in you getting people to say yes more often, as opposed to thinking your role is to convince people to buy. Your role is to help people make their mind up and make a smart decision about a predetermined outcome that they already decided they wanted. And how important is it to pre-qualify the people you're talking to? Because this doesn't work on everybody. It doesn't work on the people who are who are the hard sell, who don't have the financial resources, who may not be in a position logistically or chronologically to make a decision at this time. It um, works. That's a whole different approach. It works with all those people. But sometimes what it works is that you pre-qualify somebody to help them realize they're in the wrong shop. Let's use the hearing aid example is you could find out very quickly that when you say to somebody, we've got solutions from 1500 through to 10,000, they're like, I haven't got 50 cents. You should be able to say, well, like at this point in time, one of the things that you might want to be able to go out and resource is this benefit system or this insurance download, or here's some other complimentary advice that might help in some of your circumstances without you needing to put your hand in your pocket for a penny. And I think our duty as business leaders today is to have an answer that is valuable to just about every inquiry that you could have. 
And sometimes they have commercial uplift for you. Sometimes they just have human benefit to the other person. And, and that, that to me is a change as business leaders today that, that we do owe every inquiry some form of value exchange, even if that value is here is a tip sheet, here is a blog article, here is something you can read to be able to self-discover. And, and, and that analogy we both use often that prescription before diagnosis is malpractice is, is essential to understand that sometimes we diagnose that somebody was in the wrong shop. They might love what you've got. They might love what you're about. They might be keen to do business with you. But if they don't meet the criteria to be a client, then you should lose zero sleep over that. Just provide them a simple solution that's helpful. Sure. And, and also, I think an important thing to note for our audience is this is not something that comes quickly or easily. It's probably one of the reasons why you're one of the most, one, the most listened to book, nonfiction book, because people revisit this again and again. It takes practice. It doesn't mean that we've memorized the script, but that we've created this tool bag, this, this quiver with enough arrows that yep. we can pull at the right situations at the right time. And, and the place you're at on the journey changes, David, too. Yeah. Like, We've had the gift of being able to listen to some of our professional speaker friends on repeat for a decade or more. Somebody that I admire hugely, I'm sure you do too, is, is Scott McCain. Sure. Now, I've listened to Scott share the same story more than a dozen times. And each time I hear that story, it talks to me differently because I'm at a different point in my career. I'm at a different point in my life. I'm at a different point in my business. The speech could have been word perfect the same. I don't know whether it was or wasn't. But I do know is I took something different from it at that point. And when it comes to mastering sales language, you're often trying to solve a new problem. If I meet a brand new real estate agent, they're like, how do I get appointments? How do I get in front of people? If I meet a three, five-year, 10-year real estate agent, they're like, how do I stand out versus my competition? If I meet a decade-old you know, veteran within the industry, they're like, well, how do I find my vigor again? How do I remember how to be able to hustle when things have got hard? How like. How do I compete against these young whippersnappers? So the need to get good at using persuasive language never disappears. It's which lens am I applying it towards today that is relevant towards a predetermined outcome that I'm looking to achieve today. And when you give yourself the gift of being able to live in student or rookie mode for your entire life, you're on a perpetual journey of growth. And I don't believe that persuasive language will ever be a skill that is not required. And the more and more and more I get sucked into people asking me to look at their AI to um, give consideration to how chatbots can provide services in this area or how we can utilize tools that could allow us to be able to have persuasive conversations with other human beings that is actually built on artificial intelligence. The more confirmation I get, that this needs people to do this job. Yeah, absolutely. And certainly for the next 30 years, whatever. My suggestion, pick up the book. It, it's it's a remarkable book, exactly what to say, and of course, exactly how to sell. But here's the thing, ignore everything that you ever learned in school, every other rule, write all over the damn book. Dog ear the pages, take a highlighter and highlight things. Don't loan them to your friends. They can buy their own damn copy. But this is one of those books that you, you dog ear the pages, you throw in um, post-it notes and write all over it. It's your book. Yeah. You buy the and, book. And write your own examples. Like even just decide right now that there are three conversations that matter more to you in your life than any other. Like choose the the how much conversation. Choose the the huddle conversation with your team. Choose a conversation that matters with a family member, a friend, or a spouse, and say I'm just dialing up these three. 
And then look at every example sequence of words in the book and say, can I write my own examples towards those three critical conversations and let this live outside the book and in your world and in your real application and see what you can do to be more influential in the moments that you've decided matter in your world. Yeah, incredibly important in life, in business. I'm going to make a commitment right now. I'm going to have you on once a year and we're going to continue the conversation. We're going to update it every single time. Yeah. Big thanks to my guest, Phil M. Jones. Phil, if people want to get in touch with you, how do they find you? Um, two websites worthy of look. One is philmjones.com. Also, we're building out a body of work at exactlywhattosay.com. So if you care about critical conversations, you care about the power of spoken word, we've got dozens of articles from a variety of guest experts that are contributing on exactlywhattosay.com. Come check us out there. If you want to continue the conversation, Instagram's best place to find me, and I am at philmjonesuk. There you go. Outstanding. Hey, thanks so much. Hang on, because we'll talk on the other side of this. I want to remind everybody that, first of all, thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. For those of you who watch the video version, um, he's a very handsome man. Trust me, you want to watch the video version of this as well. My new book, you can pick up this online and everywhere, The Morning Huddle, Powerful Customer Experience Conversations to Wake You Up and Shake You Up and win more business, be sure to like this podcast, subscribe and leave a comment. That's important as well. And then click the little bell icon. You'll get notifications of future episodes when those come about as well. Uh, you can learn more about my keynote speaking, my consulting at davidaverin.com. Once again, big thanks to my guest, Phil M. Jones. This is the Customer Experience Advantage podcast. I'm David Averin. Be good. This has been the Customer Experience Advantage podcast with David Averin. Feel free to leave a comment and be sure to hit the thumbs up button. You can listen to past episodes and be notified of future ones by subscribing on your favorite podcast platform. David's popular marketing and customer experience books are available in print as well as Kindle and audiobook and published in multiple languages around the world. You can stay connected and learn more at davidaverin.com. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.